0: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Iron. Rosen traded to the Dolphins. I couldn't be more excited to become a Dolphin. Rosen looking down the field and his Well, that sucked. Raise your hand if you honestly had any fun whatsoever watching that football game on Sunday. I'll keep waiting. Welcome to Fin It to Win It. I'm Kyle Krabs, your host, and your uh, MC through the misery of the next 15 games of Miami Dolphins football because it's very apparent this team is going to be a problem. If you had any hopes or dreams or expectations of of anything other than just a handful of wins, I got bad news for you. This is not the year to be a Miami Dolphins fan. We realized when this team got down to the cutdowns and traded Laramie Tunsil, they, they wanted to further position themselves to not be competitive this year. It was painfully obvious. Trade your best player. Obviously, they got a a lion's share for him. They got a ransom for Laramie Tunsil. So I don't blame them for making the trade. But the message that it seems to have sent the locker room is one that is going to be a prevalent theme for the Miami Dolphins throughout the course of the rest of this season. And that, to me, more than the, believe it or not, 59 points that they yielded defensively and, and 10 miserable points that they scored offensively. That was the disheartening part and the disappointing part. I was expecting a loss. I picked this team to go 3-13 and when I went through the schedule at the beginning of the season. But to have absolutely no fight, no pride, throwing hands in the air, huffing and puffing, undisciplined play, it's like the Dolphins have the same mentality on the field, or at least they did this past Sunday, of what us fans have as a mentality, which is, let's just get this over with. That's what Sunday felt like. From the players on the field perspective, I um, that is going to be a problem. And I, for one, am most worried about the long-term impact I think, generally speaking, uh, a lot of the questions about Miami's situation as a team this year are overstated. I get a lot of questions on Twitter, like, "Would Tua go back to school because he sees how bad Miami is and and wouldn't want to play for the Dolphins and and their offensive line's so bad?" And, well, no, that that's why they have the picks. That's why they have the cap space. They're not just going to leave everything the same and bring in Tua Tug of Viola they're going to build around a a franchise quarterback, which they have not had in forever. They have not had one in a very, very long time. Um, But that's why I I generally dismiss a lot of those. Well, what are the long-term implications of a a 1-15 in season in 2019? And, And it's because the Dolphins have positioned themselves where 60% 60% of this roster again next year is not going to be on the team. You're going to have over 50% turnover on this roster in back-to-back years. Which is why it's important for you to identify your cornerstone pieces, the guys that you consider to be long-term chips for you, and watch those guys this year. Don't watch the whole team. And that's where some concern comes up for me. With a Minka Fitzpatrick, per se, whose mom has already come out on Twitter this summer and suggested that the Dolphins are playing him out of position. And Minka himself has kind of hinted at well, openly acknowledging that he's playing out of position. And then after the game on Sunday, kind of acknowledging kind of nudge, nudge, wink, wink, like coaches probably could have put us in better situations. And it's like, man, you're you're a cornerstone piece. And is this frustration? Is this a disgruntled approach? Like, that's a relationship the Dolphins can't afford to sour. Because he's a ha- he's an asset. I will say this, Minka played like trash on Sunday. And Minka will be the first to tell you that. He was targeted six times. He gave up six receptions, uh, over 110 yards, and two touchdowns. That's what Minka did in coverage on Sunday. Uh, For perspective, you and I could have gone out there on Sunday against the Baltimore Ravens and tried to cover Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown, and we would have had an equal amount of success covering those guys as what Micah Fitzpatrick did. It's not good. So when you take his perceived gripes, I don't even want to say attitude because you know, that's, I, don't, I don't want to generalize too much and, and be unfair to Minka. I mean, he, he is perceived to have gripes. He's expressed already that he's playing out of position and, and his parents clearly feel strongly uh, that the coaching staff is not utilizing him to the best of his strengths. And then you add into the layer the report that first came out from Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk and then was confirmed by Armando Salguero of the Mighty Herald that at least three Dolphins, quote, on some level discussed requesting a trade with their agents after 59 to 10. You really don't want Minka to be a part of that group. So I sat down and I started asking myself, okay, who could who could be a part of this group? And I think the obvious one is Rashad Jones, right? Rashad was disgruntled before the season. Flores comes in. They have some internal conversations. Rashad still still doesn't show up to voluntary workouts, but Brian's encouraged and says, you know, he's going to be a part of the team. He's taking care of himself. Mandatory workouts come. Rashad's here. Great. Kumbaya. And then the news starts to bubble that the Dolphins are maybe shopping Rashad and Rashad, you know, plays it like a pro and I'm here to control what I can control and that's the only thing that I can focus on and, then Brian Flores comes out and says, you know, Rashad will be here for 2019. Great. Until the Dolphins bring him out and play Rashad in 42% of the snaps. On what planet is Rashad Jones like the fifth most important defensive back on a defense that has Minka and Xavier? Okay. Eric Rowe, okay, he plays outside corner. You can understand keeping him on the field, even though he was also trash on Sunday. Bobby McKenna converted nickel corner playing free safety. Okay, free safety, want a little bit more range. Like, this was supposed to be a defense that was running six and seven defensive backs out onto the field. They use Rashad as a glorified linebacker. So that's where I'm I'm starting to to think that Rashad maybe has some buyers remorse here on buying in for the Dolphins for another year. I know he loves the city, I know he loves the community, and he's been here for a decade. So I appreciate that. But Rashad's probably thinking to himself, "My god, man, like I stayed here for this to get used on 42% of the snaps." When the guys that you, you're bringing out in lieu of me are not as accomplished, don't know what they're doing, it's frustrating. Any other names that made sense? Not not any that jumped out. I mean, I get you, you could have guys in contract years, right? Like Kenyon Drake. Kenyon Drake is a running back, a position that's devalued in the NFL in general, has been underutilized for three seasons in one game now. Surprise there. And is hoping to get paid this offseason. And if this is the kind of showcase where the Dolphins are going to be trailing by four touchdowns in the early second quarter of every single game they play, Kenny's not going to touch the ball. What, are you going to get him as a pass catcher? They're always going to be chasing guys. They're not going to be able to run the football and play clock control and... I could see Kenyon being frustrated with this situation, but I don't I don't want to speculate on any guys who we think quote unquote have requested a trade. But um I was encouraged by one thing that Brian Flores did after the game, and it's the antithesis of Adam Gase. Brian said after the game and on Monday's presser, "It starts with me." I did not do a good job getting this team ready to play football. I need to do a better job of creating game plans and working through preparations and making sure everybody's heads on straight. That starts with me. Compare and contrast that to what we had for three years of Adam Gase as the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, which bless him, he's up in New York. And surprise, surprise, the entire New York media has gotten one week of Adam Gase in regular season, and they're ready to throw him off a cliff. They've had it, because he's the same exact guy. Hey Adam, why didn't you use Ty Montgomery more on Sunday against the Bills? Well, you know, that was my decision. Well, do you have any justification for making that decision? Well, you know, that's that's the luxury of being the head coach is I can effectively do whatever I want. Our corners played like trash. The kicking game needs to be better. Wide receivers need to run their routes. And we'll be fine. So Adam, individually through his special teams, his kicker, his skill players, his offensive line, all under the bus. And not once made an acknowledgement of like, yeah, I probably could have done that better. The closest thing we got is Sam Darnold's average yards per target downfield was about four and a half yards, which if you're not familiar with metrics, is trash. And Adams said, well, yeah, the, the Bills do as good of a job as any team in the NFL of limiting vertical throws, and uh, we need to give Sam more chances to to work the ball. It's like, dude, you treated them like they were the 85 Bears. Take a couple shots down the field. Heaven forbid you run more than bubble screens, and drag routes. Jamison Crowder had 14 catches in less than 100 yards. He's Jarvis Landry. So if you're looking for any, like, side entertainment to go with your Dolphins misery, that's the ticket. Just watch the Jets crash and burn because, the, I mean, the media has already started to throw Adam under the bus. Uh, so I did appreciate that Brian Flores did that. But with that said, there are a number of concerns, and I do want to get to the Patriots here. I'm not going to sit here and harp about the Ravens game all day. Number of concerns that I did have with the approach that the coaching staff took. Namely with the offensive line. Ever since the Dolphins fired Pat Flaherty and elevated Dave DiGuglielmo to, to run the offensive line, we heard communication, Finding the best five and continuity are important pieces of a good offensive line. A week before the season starts, the Dolphins trade Laramie Tunsil and bring back Julian Davenport. Okay. Yeah, I understand that. But then the Dolphins for their first game took Jesse Davis, who has been, who spent four days at right guard. And then the rest of training camp, and all of the preseason at right tackle. And they moved him over to left tackle to play next to Michael Dieter, who he has never played next to. And then they removed Shaq Calhoun out of the starting lineup and placed him, replaced him with Danny Isidore, who was also brought in a week beforehand. So the only two players on the offensive line that had somebody next to them that they had practiced at all with was left guard Michael Dieter and center Daniel Kilgore. What happened to continuity? Wouldn't it have just been easier to leave Jesse Davis at right tackle, just plug Julian Davenport in in Laramie Tunsil's spot, and then you only got to worry about the connection between Davenport and Michael Dieter. And if you want... Danny Isidore to step in the lineup, that's great, but he hasn't been here. Shaq Calhoun has been running with the ones for seven weeks. Why would you possibly fly in the face of everything that you said was important with offensive line play at the midnight hour? It's just like Sam McGuavin playing outside linebacker, trying to rush the passer, and Raekwon McMillan in a handful of his reps trying to cover tight ends as they release up the field and they're running corner routes, and Raekwon's like concrete blocks on his feet just like he always is against the pass. Just like no safeties in the middle of the field, by the time Lamar drops his fourth touchdown over top of your head, you'd think you'd put somebody back there. They didn't. So for a team that's supposed to be a smart, disciplined, tough football team. They did not coach smart. And it started not it wasn't just defensive lack of defensive adjustments. It was they they contradicted everything that they said was important for offensive line play before they even stepped on the field and they did it like the day before. Why? Which makes me question is this coaching staff even trying to win a football game right now. Is this team looking to get to 0 and 11 and survey the landscape in the NFL and say, "Yeah, okay, we could flip the switch and start trying now because we won't beat three of the teams remaining on our roster and if we win the last two, it's no big deal. We've got it clinched up." Like is that is that the mentality? Or is the mentality that we are going to put players because today this year is an evaluation year? We're going to put players in some trying situations, understanding that that byproduct is we're not going to win football games because we want to see who we can grow and cultivate in other areas other than their strengths right now. It's the only justification that I can come up with. Because if the Dolphins do, go, do go out and draft to a Doug Viola, they've drafted Michael Dieter in the third round. This regime this year did that. He's going to be a fixture. They just extended Jesse Davis to a three-year, $15 million contract. He's going to be a fixture for the next several years. Do they want those guys playing next to each other and establishing that continuity now? Because that's who they see being the offensive line two years from now. On the left side of a left-handed quarterback's offensive line. It's the only... Like, I'm trying to think forward here and connect the dots... Because you listen to what Brian Flores says and then you watch what Brian Flores does and they are not the same thing. So we have to put the pieces of the puzzle together here a little bit and try and solve this riddle because it's really confusing based on what we heard all spring. But then again, so were the roster cuts and roster moves and roster decisions that they made in the buildup to the start of the regular season. We're going to switch gears, though. We're going to get ready to talk about the Patriots. Tom Brady's first return to Miami since the Miami Miracle. Before we go any further, I do want to talk to you guys about today's sponsor of the show, Indochino. Every guy looks and feels better when he puts on a suit. There's just one problem. Everybody keeps buying off-the-rack suits. That's why Blue Wire pumped the partner with Indochino for an amazing new deal on a new suit. Indochino is the world's leading made-to-measure menswear company. They make suits and shirts to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. Looking to get married? They have tons of options for those looking to outfit their wedding party. It's so easy to get started. Visit a stylist at one of Indochino's 40 showrooms in North America and have them take your measurements personally or measure at the home yourself and shop online at Indochino.com. This week, finit Win it listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $369 at Indochino.com, and then entering BlueWire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code BLUEWIRE, for any premium suit for just $369 and free shipping. This is an incredible deal for a premium made-to-measure suit. Once you go custom, you don't go back. Guys, listen. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or would you keep walking? Of course you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners in sports and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. Did you know you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side and double down. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and try and win a lot, Try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. You use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Oh boy. We're three touchdown underdogs to Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. If there's a silver lining, it's that there is none. The Patriots smashed the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are generally considered to be a contender in the AFC North, expected to win between 9 and 11 games this year. And the Patriots embarrassed them without Antonio Brown. Now, we do not know Antonio Brown's status. He has had quite the offseason, but he has most recently been Uh, faced with some very significant sexual assault allegations. And uh, the league is going to be conducting an investigation on that. And last I had seen, which was yesterday, Roger Goodell is considering putting Antonio Brown on the exemption list and he would be ineligible to play. Now, at the end of the day, wins and losses and Antonio Brown being on the field versus not being on the field and that's impact on Miami is so secondary to the significance of the charges against him. So I don't want to celebrate Antonio Brown being unavailable for the Patriots or anything like that because this, it's such a horrible thing and, and act to be associated with. So I would just strongly encourage you guys, you know don't, don't celebrate Antonio Brown being out because these are people's lives that we're talking about. At the end of the day, this is a football game. Um, but operating under the assumption that Antonio Brown will be available because no actions have been made against him. It's not the number one wide receiver in New England that scares me. It's everything because they have depth. They've got Josh Gordon back. Uh, from another suspension for somebody who has been uh, battling his own demons off the field and is still supremely talented and uh, made some splash plays against the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday night football. Uh, Miami can cover one guy with Xavier Howard. Who's going to cover the two? Who's going to cover the three? Who's going to cover the backside of the backfield? And that's what Bill Belichick does so well, is he goes where you're not. He attacks where you're soft. It's what we were supposed to see uh, the Dolphins do with Ryan Flores on on staff as the defensive-minded head coach. Belichick's been doing it for two decades uh, with the Patriots. And uh, I just think they present so many challenging mismatches for Miami With the depth that they have in their skill players. You know, James White, Rex Burkhead, Sonny Michel. Just out of the backfield, as guys that can catch the football. I don't know how you're going to box those guys in. Maybe Flores was sitting on all his exotic stuff for week two against the Patriots. Maybe that's our new fun conspiracy theory for the next couple days until the game shows up. Uh, But the Dolphins are somewhere, depending on where you look, somewhere between 18 and 20 point underdogs. For Sunday's contest against the New England Patriots, do I expect Miami to cover that? I'd like to expect them to cover that, but what I saw this past Sunday was a team that just lacked energy. You know, there there were a handful of players who stood out in the good ways, uh, namely Christian Wilkins stood out in a positive light. Uh, I thought Jerome Baker played an admirable football game. I thought Michael Dieter on the offensive line played a good football game, and that's good because these are, the, these are the players that you're expecting to be long-term pieces, which again brings us back to you know the Minka situation and why I'm starting to be a little concerned that we're jading Minka Fitzpatrick and, and disenfranchising him with the Miami Dolphins uh, because he was the cornerstone player that I thought brought bad energy to the team. I do want to tip my cap to Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, who is tough as nails. And, uh, you know, he he bounced back up from every hit the Ravens gave him. And he he said after the game, I think it was on Tuesday, uh, kind of in a sick way, I enjoy getting hit. So uh, props to, to Ryan Fitzpatrick. This has been typically a pro-Josh Rosen platform. And uh, I, I still think we'll see Josh after the bye uh, but Fitz is gonna take the the storm of the next three games in which the Dolphins will be double digit underdogs in all of you. You could take it to the bank. They won't get within seven points of a team until you get to Washington week five. And that's probably only because it's a homework coming off the bye. We'll probably be six and a half, five and a half point dogs against Washington, who's not a good football team either. It's just the perception of this team and the performance that they put on the field was so unenergized. Uh offensively against the Patriots the Patriots did lose uh, Trey flowers this offseason. obviously Miami was interested in, in uh, bringing him into the fray that did not materialize the price point got crazy um, I don't I don't think that the Patriots will have to get exotic to get pressure on Miami just because let's call a spade a spade here the Miami Dolphins offensive line situation specifically off the edges with Julian Davenport and uh Jesse Davis, assuming that Miami leaves those guys in the lineup. Uh they're not the most heavy-handed. Julian Davenport's long and athletic, but he's kinda leverage is an issue for him, and because he's so long, uh he hasn't perfected his strike timing yet. And that allows a lot of guys to to get into his body too quickly. Or his hands flash too late, in which case guys will run right around him. So, I expect you'll see a lot of pressure off the edge. Um, And I don't think Miami will have the firepower to stay close enough to try and stay balanced on offense. And then you'll see exactly what the Ravens did. They'll tee off on you. I think Miami can scrap out 17 points. But New England's going to score at least 35, 38. I think I predicted 38-14 to be the final for USA Today, this week. Um, I do not expect it to be a close football game. But that's what this year is all about. So looking for some trends that you can identify um, for this season. Because it's not going to be wins and losses. We need to look and identify what is the coaching staff's mentality. Are the coaches just purely speaking looking to put players in positions to evaluate the ball on the field the same way that they would evaluate a practice? Do they make the adjustments necessary to stay competitive or to get competitive in football games? And if the answer is no, if we get through like the Chargers game, week four, and they're not making any changes, then the answer's clear. It's like they're they're putting together a game plan. And they're going to put players in positions and ask them to do things knowing full well that it's probably not where they're going to be best performing. But it's they want to see how you do in that situation and get a feel for what are the lottery tickets that we've rolled the dice on so far this offseason that we want to attach ourselves to. I think that's the most realistic mentality that we can have as a fan base watching this team play. Ask those questions. Because the coaching staff is not going to suddenly flip a switch based on what they brought to the table and understanding what the long-term plan is. I get questions, you know, why would Miami draft Tua Tunga Viola when they can just wait another year and get Trevor Lawrence if they're bad again? It's like, because everybody who works for the Dolphins, if the Dolphins are bad in two consecutive years, Steve Ross will fire them. The NFL in general, I don't want to say the league offices, but the NFL in general and ownerships do not have tolerance for a product that regresses significantly in consecutive seasons. One in 31 for Cleveland's what everybody points to. And guess what? Sashi Brown got fired. So the Dolphins plan with everybody that they have in place Brian Flores, Chris Greer, the whole gang. There is a 0% chance that they pitch to Steve Ross, let's suck for two years. Now, does that mean that the Dolphins might not end up getting the number one pick in 2021? No, of course not. But you can't set your entire trajectory of your team. of Viola is not a consolation prize. He's got great intangibles. He's running the Steve Sarkeesian offense there at Alabama, a lot of West Coast concepts it's going to make him so much more pro ready to, to come in and compete. And the dolphins will have plenty of ammunition to build around him. So don't just assume that it's easier to get Trevor Lawrence because aiming for Trevor Lawrence puts this ownership or this front office and coaching staff in jeopardy, losing their jobs where everybody knows now that the plan is just to be bad in 20, 2019, go get your QB for 2020. Godspeed, Good luck. Come back and see us again next week. Go Dolphins. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns.